for markets to work, there have to be winners and losers. That's how markets work. And so you look at that and you go, to, to be in a position where we change the rules of the game and effectively turn off one side of the trade, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. At, you know, we've talked about it about Robinhood, but frankly, it's not a good look for DTC. It's not a good look for any of the prime brokers. It's not a good look for any of the firms, the intermediaries, uh, the market makers, the exchangers. It's not a good look for anybody because markets need to have consistent rules um, to operate well. And if the rules are changing in the middle of the game, that's a problem. Hey, everyone. Glad you could join me for this episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. You just heard the intro from our guest, Aaron Klein, talking about the fallout from the GameStop Robinhood controversy that has been rocking markets and roiling social media since last week. Now, this wasn't the original topic we were going to talk about, but current events overtook us and we felt that everyone would be much more interested to hear Aaron and I going back and forth on our opinions on uh, this controversy. And we can always circle back to some other wealth management trends that we had on our list later. But before we begin, let me give a quick plug to our new partners, Extiva Financial Systems. We're launching a suite of consulting services with them to help financial services firms who are looking to upgrade their advisor comp and performance management systems, but need to get their data architecture in order first. Please go to our website, ezragroupllc.com, and click on the link at the top of the homepage to read the press release, or click on the Enterprise Wealth page for more information about our performance management system consulting services. To introduce our guest for this episode, it is Aaron Klein, the CEO of Riskalyze. Aaron, hey, welcome to the program. Hey, great to be with you, Craig. Glad you can make it. Um, so glad we could find some time in your schedule sure. and get things uh, going for this in this turbulent times. I know everyone's busy, so thanks for making the time for us. Absolutely, 100%. So we were trying to come up with something to talk about, and it's so boring. I mean, it's just nothing's going on. We're all just sitting around twiddling our thumbs. There's nothing happening. We're waiting for the Super Bowl. Yeah. So what have you, been, what have you guys been uh, been doing the last week or two? I mean, what's, what's been on your what's, – what's the biggest story in, you, in news for you? Uh, oh, man. I, I – you know, it's – well, people keep asking if we're going to um, finally let the risk number go above 99 because of everything that's happening with GameStop <laughs> and uh, Robin and all of that and no plans yet to push the risk number above 99 but uh but yes i can confirm to you that gamestop is a risk 99 stock uh <laughs> that is for sure that is for sure when you go up eight thousand percent uh that's kind of built into the math <laughs> yeah so we, we um as always we try to bounce around a couple of ideas before we we record and we had a whole bunch of stuff which we just threw out the window because we we just were so excited to talk about <laughs> The whole Robin Hood game. We'll just style. see. Well, we have to see how much ground we can cover. We might cover it all. Well, well, it, it just depends. It just. Depends. Well, I find people are listening to the podcast on one and a half or even two times speed. So maybe yep. we can get an hour yep. podcast into a half an hour. You never know. We'll see. You never know. So, so okay. what's your? So obviously, everyone. You know, I think people will be familiar. You can just Google Robin Hood if you don't. If you've been living under a rock the last week and a half or yeah. so. So what's your opinion on, yeah. on things? And, and tell me what you think of this going on and, and, and how you think it's going to shake. Yeah. I, I, you know, the, the whole thing, first of all, is, is interesting. And I feel like it's very on brand for like 2020, 2021, right? Like mm -hmm. we have, 
we have trans the presidential election is over. We've now translated our political positions into like like our positions on on stocks and uh, which stocks are going to go up and, and which people are bad and which people are good. And um, I mean, there is some level to which you I, I've, I've never been a fan of. I understand why short selling exists in the market. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't have an important part to play in the market. Um, but you see a lot of the behavior with some of these, you know, hedge fund players who who take a, a short position and then effectively are working to drive, you know, a company's stock down, and they're taking action to try to drive a company's stock down, and um, and and it's not it's not a great look. And you know, this this band. I mean, we've never seen anything like this before. There's a great uh, piece that a guy, a venture capital guy in uh, Silicon Valley wrote. His name is Mike Solana, and he wrote this piece called Jump. And he was talking about how when he was a kid, there was this theory that like if if China could get all of their citizens to like jump at the same time, <laughs> they could completely destabilize the the globe, right? And, and throw it <laughs> off its axis. Um, and, you know, his, his point basically was like, we've, we've suddenly reached this uh, place where like, uh, you know, we've never had a place where, for example, a president had like a hundred million people that he could say jump to and they could jump at the same time. So without, you know, getting political around Trump, point being is that like this Wall Street bets thing is like super interesting because it's another point in this phenomenon. Like we've never had this kind of mass coordination of people coming around, you know, this idea of a stock position to like, you know, uh, oppose a hedge fund short position and kind of like take it mm -hmm. down. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Wall Street Journal, I think, said yesterday that um, that that hedge funds down 53 percent. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's wild in the space of one month. Right. Yeah. Well, they needed um, a 50 percent. They lost. A, they needed a yeah. two billion dollar lifeline. Right. They got two billion dollars from. It's, right. You know, and it's, it's, yeah, it's incredible how, I think we've always had these, right? We've always had these groups that have been trying to buy stocks, but it's never worked to this level before. Right, right, right. And, and it's, it's never, yeah, you've never had this level of coordination. I was, I was on like the new social app craze, I guess, is this, is this app called Clubhouse. So I, I actually like signed onto it last night and lo and behold, um, a lot of the folks at, at uh, like Benzinga and in the FinTwit world were having a conversation on this and, uh, my 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 buddy Jason Raznick, who runs Benzinga, kind of pulled me on the little stage on Clubhouse, and and we're talking about this, and um, you know, just talking about he he was live on like a YouTube live stream or something, and said something about like he doesn't understand what's going on with this GameStop thing, and like boom, like. 5,000 people from Reddit all joined the live stream and the comments went nuts in the middle of it. And, and just like, like, like the, the sheer like central force of that action of, of people engaged in that, I, you have to call it a movement. Um, you know, you can make arguments about whether or not it's a wise investing choice or whether going with a crowd like that is a good idea, but it is fascinating to sit back and look at it and say, this is real. Like this is a part of the markets. Um, you know, whether whether we want it to happen or don't want it to happen, whether it's, you know, people's play money, there is enough play money in the world um, that people can move markets with it. That much has been proven over the last week. True. Yeah. I mean, if, if you add it all up, like you add up all the stimulus checks, right? You, you have yeah. these, we were talking about memes before go. and how you know, everything's now described via a meme. One of my favorite memes is um, yeah. it looks like Japanese anime and it's a little girl sitting under a desk and she's frightened and it says hedge funds. And then you have a Terminator like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it says, you know, you know, GameStop guys with their six hundred dollars stimulus checks, 
have banded together. It's it, it's somewhat true. I mean, they're banding together, and um, I, I yeah, and, and then you see the actions that Robinhood took last week, and that was fascinating. I think a lot of people in the wealth management business have been looking at. Robinhood and looking at some of these other fintech startups and and just kind of asking themselves like where where does this go and how do these companies operate and and you know I Robinhood you have, you have to give them credit like you could argue that they are the ones that drove Schwab to take out trading commissions which you know then had the massive ripple effect and probably led uh, you know to the TD acquisition at the level it was at and and all those different kinds of things right so Robinhood has had a a not inconsequential impact uh, on the market, uh, you know, as it is, you know, I, it's a fascinating week for them. You know, I've, I've had a Robinhood account to, to just play with it and check out the user experience for a while. And, um, you know, the level of passion and trust that a lot of people had for that company, I think has evaporated during this last week. I think it's a huge problem for them. And I, I don't think it's something that, that they can just flip a switch and kind of come back from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to, to shut down when, when, especially when you have these two forces colliding of like this movement saying, hold the line buy the stock. Mm -hmm. And then literally their favorite broker shutting down only the buy side of the trade. Um, That's, that's a, that's a pretty fascinating collision. And I don't know that we'll uh, know the full impact for a bit, but I don't think it's good for Robin hood. Um, and I think it's pretty hard to buy back that credibility. It's yeah, it's very difficult. And the, the way as fast as things move today, you know, if you look at it, look how fast Robin who went from nothing to, you know, destroying value yeah. all all up and down the, the market to, to being the driver of acquisition, you know, multi-billion dollar acquisitions and, and just putting out the companies out of business and, 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 you know, shifting ownership, you know, retail ownership, uh, increasing that, doubling yeah. it in a short amount of time to becoming the, the most, you know, evil, uh, 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 a totally evil company where even uh, Elon Musk said, this was my favorite quotes, Elon Musk calls Robin Hood CEO, Vlad, the stock impaler. <laughs> when you've lost Elon Musk, but yeah, so. Remember the, um, oh, you ever seen the charts yeah. where they show how fast things took to get to a hundred million users. And they show like the telephone yeah. took 80 years and then television took 30 years and yeah. the radio took, and yeah. then it's, you know, Facebook took this, you know, now Robin, it's like this, it's like, you can't squeeze it any tighter. Pretty soon it'll be yeah. like, I have an app. I got a hundred yeah. million users. Now it's Friday and I'm out of business. <laughs> I really wanted this experience to last a little bit longer. I mean, at Riskalyze, we're about to celebrate 10 years. We do not have a hundred million users, but we've, um, you know, impacted millions of people. Uh, so I'd like to think that, uh, that, that we're, uh, you know, impacting on the right level of scale for us. Um, but that said, uh, yeah, I, I'm a little bit more attuned to, um, you know, our, our mantra has always been build a hundred year company. And so I've been a little bit, I'm a little bit more attuned to a longer term cycle than that, but yes, uh, I've got an app I've hit a hundred users or hundred million users. And now I'm out of business on Friday. That, that could be a cycle in the future. It, could it will be. be. Yeah. I, I see that. Um, yeah, but yeah, but can't stop. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I tweeted about that. How you know how to? It's how to destroy your brand, a multi-billion-dollar brand, in, in twenty-four hours. Right? How many more mistakes? Well, can I, make? you know, part of it in my mind was just the shifting story, and it 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 just underscores how critical it is in this age to be good at communication. 
Um, you know, I think that you've, you've got a, yeah, on Wednesday, they took the action of blocking the buy side of the trade. Um, and, and there was very little communication about why that was. And you look back and you can kind of see the outlines of that communication. But I got to tell you, like I started on Wednesday going, well, hello, Citadel is their number one customer mm-hmm. uh, with payment for order flow. Like obviously Citadel has come in and, you know, you know, money talks and the customers have said what to do. Uh, by Thursday, you know, the news that uh, the Wall Street Journal reported that, uh, you know, they had to raise a billion dollars just to keep the doors open on Wednesday. Um, and, you know, the Wall Street Journal is reporting this morning that they just did another $2.4 billion, again, just to keep the doors open. Um, with the idea being here that um, this is literally like the collateral that they have to post because of T plus two settlement dates. Mm-hmm for you know this stock that is you know ranging between four dollars and four hundred dollars a share like it's 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 kind of it's kind of crazy and um i think i think the number i saw was that you know the the multiplication factor was something went from something like three or four percent um to 86 percent in the mathematical calculation of how much capital they were going to have to post uh just to you know for the for the two-day settlement window um, you know, it, it, w- w- with all that reporting from the Wall Street Journal, it, it puts some of their actions on Wednesday into perhaps, perhaps um, a, a better light um, that maybe there was, you know, not evil or nefarious intent. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you what, if, if there was no evil or nefarious intent, they did a really crappy job of communicating that because, um, you know, it, I, that was a moment I heard one person say for them to kind of like go live on Twitch and just kind of live stream their actions throughout the day and just go, hey, this is what we're doing. Like we are trying to keep you, the the individual trader in business, able to trade. And DTC has come in and told us that um, that that we have to post more collateral to let you trade. So if you see any trade restrictions on the system, it's because we want to make sure we can fill what orders we accept, but we are working our butts off just to raise more collateral and, and, and let you trade freely. And by the way, like if you're an accredited investor, here's our GoFundMe page. And like, you can put collateral in yourself and you'll own equity and Robinhood at this valuation. Like I, I, I would have, I would have done that. Um, you, you, you got to do something. This is, this is a movement. This is not, you can't just do buttoned up corporate speak. And as late as Thursday night, you know, Vlad was on CNBC saying there's no liquidity problem. Well, if there's no liquidity problem, then it looks like you're just doing this at the behest of your, of your, you know, hedge fund masters who are telling you to do it. Like the truth is you did have a liquidity problem um, or you could choose to turn it into a liquidity opportunity and explain to your customers, Hey, hello. Like you all have traded 10,000 times bigger than we've ever traded before. And the collateral requirements went up times like, you know, 30. Okay. So like do the math. We, we want to do what it takes to like keep you in business. And this is what we're trying to do to do that. Like, like that's what you've got to communicate if you want people to, to see your actions for what they are in this kind of situation. Now, I always go back to Occam's razor where the simplest explanation is usually the right one. So in this, so in, in these cases, it's usually stupidity is much more likely explanation than conspiracy, right? That they just, it, it reminds right. me of, of the 2008 crash where you had all these firms with these default models that showed a, you know, under 2% default rate. And then when it spiked to 25% or, or, you know, or something, then they all went out of business. Very similarly, they had a capital requirements model. Oh, we'll never need more than this amount. 
we've been business five years and look, we, we know it, but they didn't expect this black swan event to hit them. And it, it completely blew up their models. Well, and, and the reality is, is we still don't know if, even if, you know, Robin Hood uh, themselves was, was not, you know, weren't affected by uh, something from the hedge fund side of the world. Okay. What we still don't know is what made DTC come in and change the collateral requirements? Like there's no transparency into that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if there's one thing we know about Wall Street is that it's a it's a club that protects its own, right? Like everybody can see that. Everybody's seen it before. Go go back and read the history of long-term capital, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 the the quasi bailout, full-blown bailout. Like the 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 people running the fund lost their equity in the fund, mm-hmm. but like Wall Street protects their own. And um, you know, you're you're in a situation here. I it's the only reasonable explanation that you can begin to reach when you see things like Stevie Cohen coming in and injecting billions of dollars into that hedge fund. I mean, the hedge fund is down 53% and you invest in it. Um, you know, maybe if you really think that they've got a path out, but you, you know, yeah, typically, you know, we've, we've all heard the saying better not catch the falling knife. And, um, I'm not sure, you know, where you, uh, you get the idea of a ten-figure wire transfer when there's a strong probability that that's a falling knife. Hey, I want to take a break from this episode to talk about one of my favorite charities, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit that supports and empowers financial advisors who give back to their communities with overwhelming generosity. Now in its 15th year, Invest in Others has raised and distributed millions of dollars to worthy charities that are run by or assisted by financial advisors both in the U.S. and abroad. The Invest in Others Foundation is kicking off 2021 with a restock of the shelves campaign. This past year, demand for food from nonprofits was at an all-time high. Last year, more than 50 million people experienced food insecurity. Now that the holiday season has ended, supplies at many food banks and shelters have dropped, but demand has not. To help restock the shelves, Invest in Others will award grants of up to $20,000 to nonprofits who are fighting hunger in their communities. If you work in the financial services industry and also volunteer for a 501c3 nonprofit that's in need of food items, apply for a grant from the Invest in Others Foundation on its behalf. They want to help you restock the shelves in your community this January. Applications will be accepted now through Friday, February 5th at investinothers.org forward slash grants. So if you want to put your uh, 501c3 nonprofit's name in for a grant of up to $20,000, please go to investinothers.org forward slash grants. Yeah, I wanted to go back to the Wall Street Bets guys and and one yeah. of the things about their their model was that they if you if you read the wall street bets forum you know before all this happened they they do a lot of fundamental analysis they do a lot of reviews and research on these companies to find their targets and they're it's very similar to how a hedge fund works right? they look for opportunities to make money mm-hmm. to arbitrage and to find either, you know like a crowdsourced money. hedge fund yeah it's it's like a crowdsourced hedge fund but people want to say oh this is terrible yeah. that these guys are doing this but it's just, it's exactly the same as you know, rich uh, hedge fund guys in the Hamptons at a party saying, "Oh, this is what we're doing. You want to get in on it?" Where they're they're just doing it out in the open, totally. completely transparent. At just that, just that tremendous scale, at tremendous scale, and 
you know, I, I, I look, I think that's a very, very great point. Um, and, and that's why, man, now you think about like the political leaders who chimed in on this. Um, I, I actually think that I warning, political discussion, really warning, warning, danger, Robinson, <laughs> danger. Well, but, but like the, the, the strange bedfellows that this created, right? Like, I don't know if I've ever agreed with AOC on anything. And yet she comes out and says, there's something wrong when, you know, this brokerage firm comes in and says, you can't buy, um, you know, more of this security. You're taking sides on a trade in effect. Right. And, and, you know, and, and, and then she's, on, you know, in the same, in the same boat as Ted Cruz. Um, I, I tend to look at the world that way. I think that, you know, it really kind of like, I just had to laugh at like Elizabeth Warren, you know, parachuting in and going, oh my goodness, like people are making money. We must stop this. Uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> her, her approach of like, we, we, this can't be right. There should be, you know, the market values have to reflect the underlying fundamentals of the companies that they represent or something is wrong. And, and this is manipulation. Well, I mean, I, that's not what the stock market is. That's not what the stock market is at all. And, and I, you know, thanks to her, there's some hedge fund guys who probably are not going to have to sell their second yachts. So she, you know, like, congratulations, Elizabeth Warren, you saved some yachts. Um, but, but I, I don't know. I just, I look at that and I go, it, it, it also just speaks to where we're at as a country. And I don't, I don't mean to sound pessimistic. Like I, I, I'm an optimist at heart, but like, man, we got to do something about the fact that politicians don't actually know a whole heck of a lot about what they claim um, you know, to, 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 to be experts in. Um, I was talking with um, a friend of mine who worked for years in the, um, you know, in the Chicago option pits. Um, and he's like, you know, man, I, I would go like, like sit and talk to different congressional committees in Washington, D.C., talking about, you know, representing, you know, the, the CME and, and, and some of the different options traders in Chicago. And he goes, the people who get appointed to these committees just happen to represent New York and Chicago because the exchanges are in New York and Chicago. They don't actually have any expertise um, necessarily in understanding what, what the heck it is that they are supposedly regulating. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating problem. It's one that, you know, I think our, our, our country has uh, worked through for a while, but it's, it's, it's not quite solved yet, but it sure needs to be. You brought up another thing that, that bothered me for a long time was with, with the CFTC. And you know, these were guys who were regulating agricultural products. And someone had the idea, let's give them commodity derivatives because commodities are agricultural products. Let's just put them together. And you're thinking, well, what do they have to do with each other? Why would you give these people this, 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 this gigantic market? Now they've right. got incredible control. They need, as you said, they don't really understand what, they're, what they are um, Regulating, right. and if, if you remember the the Facebook hearings, there's a years slight ago. difference between, yeah, there's a slight difference between hog futures and actually taking delivery of a lot of hogs. <laughs> right, um, but hog there you go. <laughs> is, is not an easy process, but it's very different from from trading hog futures or or trading cattle futures, if you know what I mean. That's absolutely right. But the, yeah, yeah. Some, some of the victims yeah. here, some of the victims here in in this GameStop you know, just don't look good. Like Gabe Plotkin, who's the, 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 the manager of Melvin, who owns, who co-founded Melvin Capital and suffered that 53% right. loss, which was 4.5 billion in value, was in the middle of upgrading his $44 million Miami beach house. 
and might have to stop that expansion. <laughs> so, you know, these people just don't look. I mean, I mean, I, I, I wonder if he's going to make a campaign contribution to Elizabeth Warren next year. You just never know. You never know, because she may have saved that Miami Beach without, without going down the know? political um, rat hole too quickly. But if, if you just Google, you know, who gets the most uh, Wall Street hedge fund money, you'll be surprised as, as, which, as which candidates get that. Right. But. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating world. And I, I, I think that, um, you know, look, that's the thing is that if if we if we do this right in the markets, there's nobody putting their finger on the scale and like tilting the game uh, one way or the other. And the Wall Street bets guys have just as much right to be in the markets as Melvin Capital does. And Melvin Capital is just as much right to be in the markets as Wall Street bets does. And um, you know, for markets to work, there have to be winners and losers. That's how markets work. And so, um, you know, you, you, uh, you look at that and you go um, to, again, to, to be in a position where we change the rules of the game um, and, and, and effectively, you know, turn off one side of the trade. It's not a good look. It's not a good look. You know, we've talked about it about Robinhood, but frankly, it's not a good look for DTC. It's not a good look for any of the prime brokers. It's not a good look for any of the firms, the intermediaries, uh, the market makers, the exchangers. It's not a good look for anybody because, you know, why markets need to have consistent rules um, to operate well. And if the rules are changing in the middle of the game, that's a problem. Somebody posted a Twitter thread, by the way, on one of the um, fantastic uh, short squeezes in history, which was, um, you know, uh, same, same, very similar kind of circumstances was, um, you know, defeated by a rules change, right? And it was, um, apparently it's, it's, it's in a book. I'll, I'll have to see if I can track down the book, but um, it, it's, it's like a book with like 10 great stories about the market. But one of them is about the short squeeze with Piggly Wiggly, <laughs> right? So Piggly Wiggly was one of the first a, a classic supermarket models. Classic American <laughs> story, right? But, but they'd franchised in some states and apparently the franchisees hadn't done super well. So all the corporate stores were doing great, but a few of the franchisees hadn't done well and were closing. And so, um, you know, somebody picked that up and was like injecting lots of rumors that the company was going down and, 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 and created a massive short play on the stock. And this is back before, you know, electronic exchanges. So basically the guy who, um, you know, I, who'd started and who ran Pig, the Piggly Wiggly, uh, got very pissed off about this, took out a $10 million loan, okay, and went and effectively, you know, went to New York and effectively cornered the market on Piggly Wiggly stock, right, on all the stock certificates that one could find in the New York City region, and effectively cornered the market and drove the stock up um, by like three times its mm -hmm. value, okay, and and did it all on this ten million dollar loan. So so he's he's right. deep in but that's debt. A, remember, right? this is this is in the nineteen twenties. So ten million dollars is like a hundred million. Right, 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 right. Exactly, it's a lot of money. It's it's a fortune. And so um, so he uh, he he accomplishes that, and effectively they changed the rules at the last minute and gave the short sellers like two extensions of time to satisfy their you know effectively their naked short positions. And, um, you know, and, and ultimately uh, they were able to round up enough shares out in the hinterland to make good on their short positions, price stock collapsed, and he, he's holding the bag with a $10 million loan. So uh, filed bankruptcy at some point in the future there. But, um, but it's, you know, like, it's just not how markets should work, that the rules can be changed in the middle of the game. 
Changing the rules. Yeah, the, the rules, the uh, regulation protects the incumbents in general. That is most often the case. That's most often the case. And, you know, I, 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 think, I think none of us think that, you know, completely unregulated markets would work. I mean, you, you, you can't have, you have to have basic protections against fraud. Mm-hmm. You have to have basic protections against bad dealing mm-hmm. in, in a lot of different ways. But at the end of the day, most regulation tends to uh, end up protecting either um, the incumbent or whatever the largest players are. Um, and, and mo- you know, a lot of the time that's the same player, right? But, but the largest players are the ones who have the greatest opportunity to, um, you know, to deal with uh, regulation. Um, I mean, gosh, I, again, we do not want to go down political rat-, rat holes, but like, think about this. Like Facebook keeps saying that they are totally open to regulation from governments about free speech, right? About regulating speech online. Um, I understand why they are, because that would be a massive moat. If you as a social network cannot, for example, get hosting services or internet backbone services, if you do not provide that kind of, um, you know, uh, moderation of content, okay? And there's evidence that is true that without government regu- regulation, kind of the, you know, the other players in the in the marketplace are using their monopolies and duopolies to effectively create that kind of regulation. Okay, but um, you know, like yeah, Facebook becomes the only company that can afford to comply, um, and so it becomes a self-creating monopoly or duopoly situation, and that's um, that's that's really not a great place for competition. It's really not a great place for innovation. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think I always find it interesting, you know, go back and read. And I, I don't say this. I think he's one of, the, one of the more brilliant thinkers of our time. But like Peter Thiel wrote the book Zero to One and talks about the fact that like competition is not a good thing for businesses. OK, huh. and you sit back and you go, what? I, 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 you know, I came from the school going competition is a great thing for business. He's like, no, competition is a great thing for consumers. It's a great thing for markets. It's not a great thing for individual businesses. They would prefer to have a monopoly. Like at the end of the day, you can succeed as a business in a competitive market. And I've never been in anything but a competitive market. Okay. But like what businesses really prefer are monopolistic markets because they, they have massive pricing power and they can, they can control the marketplace. So yeah, a Facebook is definitely sitting there as the massive incumbent who also happens to be the, the, you know, the largest player sitting there going, yeah, I'll take regulation all the day long because it, it creates a monopoly and it keeps all my competitors out of the market. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to um, shift gears a little bit, still on the same topic, but I listened to, okay. I listened to a great podcast. Uh, it's called The Breakdown. It's with uh, a guy named Nathaniel Whitmore. Uh, encourage everybody if you're interested in it, uh-huh. it's more of a, a cryptocurrency podcast but he does talk about a lot of macroeconomic mm-hmm. events and he spends a lot of time talking about like the head of the cftc or the set of the OC, the head of the occ and you know who's going to be the new sec chairman but it's a lot of a lot of it's crypto related and he has some great takes on this gamestop um the gamestop uh, situation because it, it bled over into crypto when a huge number of robin hood uh clients, customers jumped to Coinbase, which is a cryptocurrency app. Oh, interesting. So huge, it was a huge influx of, of new Coinbase accounts after Robinhood did their little, little, uh, little move. So what he talked about was the, the, how important this event is. And he, he, put, he put a tweet out on January 27th. Uh, again, Nathaniel Whit- Whitmore, NLW, really, really smart guy. Uh, there are exactly two types of people on Twitter right now. Those that are absolutely convinced 
that this is an insanely significant cultural turning point moment. And people who don't understand yet that this is an insanely significant cultural turning point moment. <laughs> That's a great statement. Although I really thought it was going to end and hedge fund guys. <laughs> um, but uh... <laughs> feel free to replace that. Yeah. Yeah, but that's no, it's it's a, it's a great point, and um, like I said, very on brand for twenty 2020 twenty slash twenty twenty one. You know, and 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 one of those things that uh, um, the world is is changing and shifting underneath our feet in regards to um, stuff that used to be the province of um, of of I guess you would call it experts, right? And, and man, that has profound implications. You can apply that to um, the consternation that we have as a society over COVID right now and, you know, where that all goes. And yeah, I, I don't think I want to touch that one with a 10 foot pole, but like, I, you know, that the, the, the old order of everything being centralized and top down is, is kind of crumbling and you see it crumbling everywhere across the world. And you see it crumbling in financial markets. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, hedge funds managing billions of dollars are the epitome of that when you put them up against what effectively is a crowdsourced hedge fund, as you said earlier, uh, of the Wall Street bets guys, um, you know, also running uh, insanely large sums of money. Um, or at, at the very least, turning large sums of money into insanely large sums of money very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah, for any, any you know? Harry Potter fans out there, there's a great uh, a meme where, uh, if you remember when uh, Snape says to um, Harry Potter, you dare use my own spells against me? <laughs> that was a meme I saw about, uh, about this. Right? They're using what Wall Street that's, does. No, that's exactly They're right. They're taking Wall Street's tools. and That's exactly right. Hey, let, let's. That's exactly right. And, and, and it feels like the reaction was basically like, you can't do that. That's our playbook. You can't do that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, again, I, that's where I thought the, uh, I, I would encourage everybody to like look up Mike Solana and his, and his column called jump, because there's a fascinating idea that like the world genuinely has changed when people can coordinate uh, in a way that they just never were able to, to do before, whether that's, you know, a, a leader like like, you know, the point he made is, you know, actually China is now able to 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 do that. Um, that actually wasn't possible when we were thinking about China, you know, doing that 30 or 40 years ago. Like today, it technically could be possible because we're all carrying around, you know, these pieces of glass in our pocket that uh, that that can really you know, all receive a communication all at the same time, you know, and, and, and you can actually create collective action. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to see. And, and right. uh, it's, it's fascinating. There are disturbing and, um, and, and challenging aspects of that. And yet there are also, it also creates immense opportunity um, for um, people driven change in a lot of uh, old archaic institutions. Do you feel like I'm, I'm there's a lot of talk about the, 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 the tracking device in our pockets and how we're now, we're, we're pseudo uh, cyborgs, right? With the, with the, we're cybernetic organisms. It's not implanted in our brain, but it almost is. In fact, that we just stare at it and we live with it and we can't be without it all the time. So it's almost as though all, all humanity, or at least all, all connected humanity 
has become one organism, right? We're all connected and we're all taking actions that we don't realize is being controlled by a central authority. And it's these algorithms controlled by the big tech firms that are telling us what to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit more, I, 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 I think it's a profound thought. And I, well, you. Um, you know, candidly, one of the reasons that I'm, you know, more of a of an Apple person uh, than anything else is that I, I actually believe in the company's commitment to privacy. Um, and, you know, I was for the longest time, uh, not willing to have certain types of devices, like, for example, the uh, voice control, uh, you know, ah. like the Alexa kind of devices in, the club. Um, in my house, in because way. because I didn't trust the privacy aspect of them. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit more comfortable with Apple's approach to that. I feel like they they bake privacy in at the core and that matters to me. Um, but but I, I, I think I guess I would say this. Um, here's here's where my optimistic side kicks back in. Um, what I see, particularly over the course of this last year, um, first of all, I've, I've said it a couple of times now, I, I think that COVID has turned everybody into either libertarians or authoritarians, like you're either one or the other, um, you know, and, and I think that, um, you know, everybody looks at this in different ways. And look, you know, some of the closest people whose relationships and advice and um, perspective I value the most have ended up on the other side of this for me in some in some cases, right? And you just have to. It's a great reminder that um, that being open to other people's perspectives and thoughts and ideas is 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 a critically important skill um, in the 21st century, uh, with, without a doubt. And it's one that is lacking in a lot of places. So it's one that uh, that I try to teach my kids and I try to model for them as well. Um, but but I think that. Um, you know, if there's one thing I've seen, we had near unanimity on, um, you know, what the collective consciousness was telling us to do this year. And, um, you know, for those initial, I just, I just look back and I look at March and April and I look at those initial, you know, six weeks or so where I think that basically everybody was like, yeah, okay. Like, this is something we haven't seen before. This is new. We, 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 we all should do this. And I think it's a healthy thing, regardless of what opinion you have on all of this. I think it's a healthy thing that that started to diverge in June and July and August, right? And people started to have their own intellect and their own ideas and their own perspectives uh, begin to form in response to or in agreement with what they were seeing and hearing, right? We also, we, we, we live in a country with a federal system that has 50 different states. And that meant that, you know, for better or for worse, I tend to think better. We had 50 different approaches, okay, to, to, to things like COVID. And, and I think that's better because we had 50 different laboratories to see which approach is working, mm -hmm. right? And again, I, 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 I don't want to go down to a political rat hole and start talking about who's, which governor is smarter and deaths per 100,000 and all those kinds of things. Like you can go look at the data, you can come to your own conclusion. The point is, is that that diversity of thought, that diversity of approach, that diversity of perspective is something that makes us stronger as a country and makes us better as people. So I'd like to think that even as we, as the technology continues and continues to become more embedded in our everyday lives, that our ability to think and reason um, keeps pace with that and and allows us to form, um, you know, uh, uh, opposing thoughts at times. 
but you know where it it seems to be leading and i don't know that this is completely healthy but where it seems to be leading is to a world where we just kind of like block the other side on twitter right and you know i, I mike solana the venture capitalist guy also talks about that he goes he goes i i feel like at this point like that's the outcome of all of this is that we just block the other side on twitter and pretty soon, like my Twitter feed is basically just me talking to myself because that's the only person I fully agree with. Um, I, I, I hope it doesn't get there and go to that level. But there is a, you know, there, there is kind of this approach where we're, we're, we seem to be bifurcating the world. And I, I don't think that's an incredibly healthy approach. You know, we, we took a different approach internally. And I, I can't claim that I foresaw all of this back, you know, nearly a year ago now, right? But I remember in April, um, you know, we did an employee all hands and we're talking about some of the stuff that, that we're dealing with or, or we're doing to try to help our, our employees deal with, uh, you know, the pandemic. And one of the things I said is, look, we are, I'm already starting to see this devolve into like a red approach and a blue approach to this. And like, we are not going to do that here. Like, we're not going to have a red approach to the pandemic or a blue approach to the pandemic. Like, we're going to figure out the right course. We're going to use data. We're going to act fearlessly. Like, we are the fearless investing company after all. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to pick an approach to this that we think is best for our organization, our people, uh, our circumstances. And, and what I'm going to ask all of you to do is not waste your time and energy and breath campaigning against each other. Okay. If you see somebody behaving in a certain way, like yelling in, at them that they ought to adopt your approach to this, we're going to, we're going to take the view that like, Hey, you know, we, we, we've, we've, uh, preached the gospel for 10 years that everybody has a risk number and they are individuals. And we're, we believe that same thing is true about piece of people's health. Like everybody has a different risk number for their health. Okay. So at the end of the day, I, what I'm going to ask you to do is like respect each other and, you know, you do what's right for you. And we made coming into the office optional. Of course, we shut our offices down completely at the beginning, but even when we opened it up and allowed people to come back in, we made it optional because we said, you know, we're in a global pandemic for crying out loud. Some people have a very low health risk number. Some people are living with and caring for elderly parents. Some people, you know, there's all kinds of factors. And so we made it a very individualized thing. That approach has worked really, really well for us. And, you know, we've had at this stage, we're at a point we've had like, I think 20% of our employees are, are at, you know, uh, from time to time coming back into an office of ours. Um, we've had six cases uh, of COVID among that population of employees. Not a single one of those cases originated inside of our office or spread to somebody else inside of our office because we put a bunch of protocols in place and we've, um, we've made it optional. We've made it people's choice. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think that's largely worked. And from my perspective, that's instructive of what I think we're going to have to do as a society to kind of move past all of this is we're going to have to move to a model of where we respect people's choices and we respect that people take different risks and people have different risk appetites and, and, um, and, and we're going to have to uh, respect that as a society. I, I, I don't see any other way forward as a society, um, you know, particularly as we see new headlines about new variants and, um, you know, and maybe the vaccine's not working and, and things like that. Um, you know, I, the only way out of this really is to give people choices and respect them as individuals. Well said, Aaron. I wish more companies would take that same advice 
I also wish more companies such as <clears throat> Robinhood would follow their own company's mission statement as, as you, as you did, <laughs> clearly. Right, I don't need to get, well, you, you don't, there you go. You we said empowering the world to invest fearlessly. Right. You, yeah. You're, living, you're, yeah. you're doing, you're fearless and, and you're following your mission statement and, and I, yeah. I respect that. And I think we are out of time. We're yeah, actually thanks. over time, but I didn't want to stop the conversation. Well, this has been a blast. What a great conversation. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. We'll do it again. We should do it more often. Uh, uh, where can everyone okay. uh, who's listening and they want to learn more about Riskalyze? What, what, what should they do? Oh, sure. Um, uh, Riskalyze.com. You can also check us out on Twitter. Um, and I always like to connect with people personally on Twitter. So I'm at Aaron Klein on Twitter. And uh, some people prefer connecting with people instead of brands. And I'm totally game for that. So uh, uh, look forward to connecting with you all. Yeah, I would say Twitter. you're a master social media user. You're, you've, done the, you've done the balance uh, of a family, business, well, thanks. I appreciate that. I can say, I appreciate my hat is that. off That's to you. Great. great. Aaron Klein, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Craig. Hey, it's Craig again. That was an awesome episode. I really enjoyed a conversation with Aaron as I do whenever he is on the podcast. A uh, couple takeaways, you know, the big failure of communication. A lot of firms can take some uh, solace in that they're not as bad as Robin Hood's CEO, as Tesla's, uh, as Elon Musk calls him, Vlad, the stock impaler. But a lot of firms do have you know, issues. They may have uh, controversies that come up and learning how to deal with them, learning how to communicate and being open and as transparent as possible. As Aaron mentioned, is always best. Uh, just lay your cards on the table. You'll, you'll usually be rewarded for that. Uh, some of the issues around why Robinhood had to stop trading uh, around the DTC collateral requirements. And that reminded us of long-term capital and how uh, they had to... Uh, do some uh, capital requirements that caused them to go out of business. So fortunately, Robinhood didn't have to go out of business. They had access to a lot more capital from their investors. And as Aaron pointed out, politics makes strange bedfellows. Look at the uh, Democrats and Republicans reaching across the aisle to point fingers at whoever was to blame for this. And I'm sure we'll see more of it uh, coming on the pike. And uh, Aaron's uh, comment, uh, quote from Peter Thiel, uh, the famous investor and uh, business builder. Competition is not a good thing for businesses. It's good for us, but not for businesses. Uh, one other thing I recommend, uh, the podcast by NLW called The Breakdown, uh, Nathaniel Whitmore, if you're into, uh, if you're into uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and want to learn more uh, with, a, with a macroeconomic uh, bent to his uh, commentary, that's a great one to listen to. We'll put the, the link in the comments. And as before I, uh, I close, please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and sign up for our newsletter. You will be rewarded with topical information, news, and uh, links to our articles. We will really appreciate it, and I'll talk to everyone again next time.